Um, We've got two readings this evening. Um, Our first reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And then we are going to turn to Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me.
Good evening, everybody. <laughs> uh, if you could keep that passage from 1 Peter open in front of you, that would be great. We could have the uh, first slide on as well. Tonight we're going to be thinking about holiness. I wasn't quite sure how to um, start this tonight, so I decided we'd do a little exercise. If I ask you to score yourself on a holy scale between 1 and, and 100, where would you score yourself? Now, I'm thinking one is really, really bad. You know, you're probably a major drug dealer. A hundred, well, you're perfect. Just, just take a moment to think where you might score yourself in that. Now, if I was to ask all those who scored themselves over 80 to stand up, which I'm not going to do, I hasten to add, I wonder how it would go. I mean, I wonder how we even quite know how to score that. I mean, what's the measurement of holiness? And when we think about this idea of holiness, there is, a, I think, a strange dissonance that operates. Because holy is a word we use a lot. If you look at the back of the church there, it's uh, across the table. In many of our songs, though strangely tonight, Paddy, we didn't use the word holy, but normally when I'm here, I'm aware of how often the word holy appears. But it's also a word which is not familiar to us. It's not part of common parlance, is it? I mean, I would, I would think it's probably unlikely that most of us here tonight have, in the last week, in work, college, our social life, used the word holy. Would that be right? It's not a word we would just use in general conversation or on the train or on the bus. And to make it more difficult, it's actually got often negative connotations, even within the church. So we're used to phrases, it will appear on the screen, judge Yvonne holier than thou, a great name badge for somebody. But holy Joe or holier than thou are often the phrases that get bandied about. We tend to think of this word as kind of mm, slightly buttoned up, killjoy, self-righteous. It's not maybe something that's particularly cool. There was a recent poll by the Barner Organization in America that discovered that 40, only 46% of Christians in America believed that God had asked them to be holy. Or imagine that after the service tonight, I uh, was introduced to uh, a set of your friends, and you introduced me by saying, well, meet Holy Dave. 
He's one of the most holy people I know. I mean, firstly, what would people think about me? But secondly, how would it make them feel? And yet the strange thing is that in the New Testament, the word that is most used to refer to us is the word saints, which is literally translated holy ones. That's our most common title in the New Testament for those who are followers of Jesus. So what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is to think about what does it mean to be Holy Dave or Holy Diana or Holy Joe or Joanna or Anna or Paul. And I want to think about whether that matters and what might that look like. And I want to do it by thinking about three fundamental questions. If God is holy, what is he like? What are we like in the face of a holy God? And how might I live a holy life? How might I be holy Dave? So if we can ha have the next slide. I want to think about what does it mean that we worship a God who is holy? Because Paul, uh, Peter, in the passage we read, makes that very, very clear. Verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. As we think about this subject, the place to start is not about our holiness, but actually that we worship a God who is holy. And in fact, all holiness comes from him. We see it in Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Holy be your name. Or in the Old Testament, that famous prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. Before I had my role that I have now with the Church of England, I was uh, teaching in uh, theological college for nine years. And so I want to emphasize two theological points here. One is, you are not God. Just in case you came tonight and you were under a uh, sense that you might be God, you are not God. But the truth is that I often lead my life as though I am God, that I am in control that I run the whole thing, that I'm in charge. But we're not God. And secondly, and maybe th this really needs to get into our minds, that God is not like Superman. Because Superman is basically like us, but with a few additional superpowers. And I think sometimes that that's how we imagine God. But actually, Scripture makes it clear that God is radically different from us in degree and kind. His holiness is way off the scale. If we were giving it a holy scale marking, we'd be at infinity. You get that sense, don't you, in that reading from Isaiah? 
where Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a person of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Or in the New Testament, Peter saying to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful person. Our God who we worship isn't a tame God. He's not made in our image, but he is other. He is separate. Separate's the root word, a meaning of the word holiness. He is dissimilar. He's overpowering. He's awe-inspiring. He's terrifying. Those are aspects of God we often avoid. Maybe when we're calling out the nature of God characteristics in a praise meeting, it's not very often you hear people saying overpowering, terrifying. But that's part of the nature of God. So what is this God who we worship tonight like? Well, turn with me to verse 17. Peter sums it up with these two F's. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So we worship a God who is a father. We call upon him as his children. The most intimate relationship of parent and child. He's not a distant God. But we also live our lives, well, it's translated here as fear, but a better word would be awe. It's not about intimidation or dread or terror that God is going to find us out, but the realization of who this God is, that he's not like us. God is a holy father who loves us. And his love for us means much more, I think, when we understand, actually, how holy God is. That his holiness sums up his, who he is, his essence, his attributes. That's why I think Peter goes on to talk about the good news in verses 18 to 20. How they, they were brought back, redeemed not with perishable things, but with the perishable blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, the good news of the good news is that this holy other, awe-inspiring God in Jesus gave up his holiness. Gave up his holiness. That's remarkable, isn't it? That this God who is holy other would give up his holiness, not in the sense of his moral being, but in the sense of being separated from us. And he would do that to make us holy. That's the good news, my friends. That God for you is holy given his life. so that we might live ours. Peter describes it as project liberation. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. This wasn't just some kind of last minute plan that God had. 
This was always part of God's plan. And it's that realization that the more we understand how holy God is, the more we understand the amazingness of the good news, that that God who is so different from us would come through Jesus to take our form so that we could become holy. That's the nature of the gods who we worship. And we come to communion later to be reminded of that. Okay, secondly, if we change the slide, please. So who am I in the light of this holy God? In Scripture, anything that is holy, Sabbath, places, nations, is only holy because of its relationship to the holy God isn't holy in itself. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. In a way, that's all he's saying. We are holy because the core of holiness is personal, not just moral. We are holy because he is holy. And in a way, the rest of Peter's letters to these churches is then about becoming who we are because of our dad. It's about becoming the person, the family, whose father is the holy God. And Peter sums it up with two words that reflect our holy father who loves us. He uses this phrase, as obedient children, in verse 14. Now we struggle with some of those overtones, but What Peter is saying here is that we are children characterized by obedience. We're in this place of intimacy with our Father, but recognizing we follow a holy Father. We sang about it earlier, but Jesus' words in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That sense of love and obedience is very much something we, we're losing in our modern culture. You know, if you, love, if you really love me, you'd let me do what I want to do. That's our culture. But actually, God's culture is to say, be holy as I am holy. Take on the family characteristics. Become like me. That's it. That's who you are. You are holy. In one sense, your score is 100 because of what Jesus has done for you. Live it. And the measure is our growing conformity to our loving Father. As we become the holy people who have been made holy through Jesus Christ. And that involves a whole new way of seeing and living everything. Firstly, a different way of seeing time and structuring time. Verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be given you when Jesus is revealed. Verse 17, live your lives as strangers here in this world. That sense that actually... Part of holiness is understanding that time is very different from often how we feel. The kind of YOLO time, you only live once, it's got to be now, this is the moment. 
to understanding that God is through Jesus has restructured time. Our horizon is very different as we look to Jesus' return. And secondly, that history of what Jesus has done for us forms the narratives of our lives. That the holy God gave up his holiness to make us holy. So what might be a measure of holy days? It is that conformity to a loving father. That it is about becoming more like the God who has made us holy. So last slide. Just as we finish, how then do we live a holy life. If we understand more of what it means for God to be holy, if we understand what it means for us to be holy, how do we live this life? This life that in verse 15, Peter reminds us, impacts everything. Be holy in all you do. How do we move into that life that God offers us? Which isn't restricted to a few people or a few places, but it actually is a call to spread God's holiness into our world. That actually we, as his holy people, are enlisted into God's liberation plan. It is about separation, which is what the word means, but it's separation for and to God that leads to engagement. It's not, as Paul reminds us, a faith that says, don't touch, don't taste, don't do. It's a faith that says, how are we transformed by holiness? And through that, begin to see transformation of others and our communities and our institutions. It's understanding that holiness is personal, but it's also social. And it's not a holiness that is boring, dull, or self-righteous. But its best aspects is life-giving and contagious. Because it is the dynamic participation in the life of God. In a way, holiness is about going deeper with God so that we can go further into his world. I mean, think about how much our public life needs the holiness of God. His justice, his purity, his compassion, his care for the poor, his equity. How much would your workplaces be transformed by those kind of characteristics? How much would your neighborhood be transformed by those kind of characteristics? It's about going deeper so we can go further. It means living to a different rhythm. And as Peter reminds us practically, it requires a number of things. It requires self-discipline. Again, not another popular thing in our culture. It's translated here as being self-controlled. But empowered by God, there is self-discipline. It is saying no to some things. It's about non-conformity. Do not conform to the evil desires you had 
when you lived in ignorance. It's not the place to say everyone's doing it. It's a call to non-conformity. It's establishing new patterns of thinking. Uh, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Patterns of thinking which reflect the Holy Father who loves us. And then as we heard at the end, it's about changed relationships. So you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters. Love one another deeply from your heart. We have the last slide. I love these words that I read this week from uh, Tim Keller. True happiness is on the far side of holiness, not the near side. I think so often we're led to believe that actually true happiness is doing what we want now. But actually, we will find it on the far side of holiness. So as we finish, how might God be calling you to express his holiness this week? Uh, in your home, in your work, in your college, in your social life. Where is God calling you to be his obedient child? Where might you need to be operating self-discipline? What will it mean for you tomorrow morning to be Holy Dave, Joanne, Paul? There's a lovely story told uh, about uh, a very famous Polish uh, uh, composer and pianist called Jan Paderewski. He went on to become, actually, Prime Minister of Poland. And Paderewski played a very famous concert in Warsaw one night. And a young woman took her young child to hear Paderewski play. And uh, when she went in the front of the theater, she was a bit early, and a friend of hers was sitting next to her, and they began talking. And then the lights went down, and everyone waited for Paderewski. The curtains came apart to reveal his grand piano. She looked down, and her five-year-old son was missing. She looked up. He was sitting at the grand piano in front of 2,000 people in the Warsaw Opera House. Paderewski walked on, beckoned the crowd to be quiet, and the child started to play the piano. The child only knew one song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. So in front of these 2,000 people began to, pr to play this tune. Paderewski went up and sat next to the child, and as he continued to play and said to him, keep playing, he played these amazing melodies and harmonies around Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star for five minutes to the point at which the whole audience rose to acclaim Paderewski and this five-year-old. And I think quite often that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. He wants to say to us, you may feel you're only playing the most simple tunes, but keep playing them, and I will play around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might know more of what it means that you are 
our Holy Father who loves us. That you are the Holy One who is so different to us and yet you have come so close to us. That you are our Father who loves us. And I pray that in this coming week, as we seek to be your obedient children, we would hear your Holy Spirit saying to us, play on and I will play around you. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for the glory of your kingdom. Amen.